do was to set up the live streaming and um, it didn't it didn't load and so we're we're not gonna actually be able to you're not gonna be able to see me when you go on online so blessings <laughs> um, th that belies everything that I was just gonna say so um, a few months back Daryl approached me and he asked me if I would fill the pulpit for him on the 25th of June. And I, I looked at the pulpit and I said, I said, Pastor Darrell, I honestly don't think I could stand in the pulpit for the full three hours. <laughs> and um, he got it, you know, and, and he said, you know, but really seriously, if you go an hour and a half, that would be great because if I go over by 10 minutes or so, then I won't look so bad. So, um, <clears throat> You all know Daryl's a hunter. That's where he is this week. I am not a hunter. I only, the only reason I relate to it is because my son-in-law, Chris, who's uh, recovering from surgery, he's at home today, uh, was a hunter with his family, and um, he, uh, he converted my daughter. She became a huntress, and all my grandchildren are hunters. Uh, and I finally learned the value of the hunting process. And so I, I do, I support it. And you know what's really neat? I got a text from Daryl this morning uh, saying that he was praying for me. And he also sent me a picture. Apparently he's been after a particular uh, prey, a game, that he's been after for decades, and he said he finally got it. And so he sent me a picture so I could share it with you. <clears throat> yeah, he likes to start off with a joke, and I was going to say, I, I'm not like that. I'm dead serious all the time. But, oh, wait a minute, there's a text that comes with that. I love Bugs Bunny cartoons. Anyway, <clears throat> today's message, and by the way, I, I get dry because of my age mostly and all the medications I take, so if I pause to sip water, please bear me. Paul even covered that in the scriptures. He said, put up with the foolish things in my life when he was writing to the folks that he was writing to. So I appreciate your, your uh, indulgences there. Oh, I also wanted to start off by saying I, I know I've been in your, on a prayer list for some time, and I appreciate the prayers uh, for my heart condition. I'm still in AFib, but I did get the medication that was uh, being provided, and, and, and things are improving. I'm still dealing with shortness of breath, so um, I appreciate your prayers this morning, too, as... as I try to get this done within the three-hour limit. So today's message is entitled, Only Stand. And it's from Ephesians 6, chapter 10, 13, uh, verses 10 through 14, essentially. It was read this morning, uh, the scripture reference. But I also wanted to give you the benefit of having a little bit of background of, of who I am. My biggest accomplishment, I have five great-grandchildren. Um, and it's my greatest accomplishment because I didn't have to do anything. 
Um, I've got six grandchildren, one of whom is here this morning, Josh, who most of you probably know. I'm also a retired English teacher and a coach. I taught high school in East Los Angeles for 15 years. And um, talk to me about that sometime. That was interesting as well. I'm also, I've also been a pastor most of my life. Um, I'm a graduate of Talbot Theological Seminary. And I was going to Talbot Seminary at the same time that I was a member of John MacArthur's church. And uh, so that goes, that goes way, way back into the, into the 70s. Uh, I'm also retired LAPD, and uh, I don't have any police jokes this morning. Um, but really, the, one of the greatest things in my life is that I have a daughter by the name of Trisha, and uh, she's here, and she's such a blessing. And um, I, I only had one child, but uh, she and Chris, like I said, they gave me six grandchildren, so it's, it's a great blessing. And then uh, I am the husband of a beautiful woman by the name of Mary Vernay. You've never met her because she's been with the Lord for 42 years. Trisha was 10 years old when her mom passed away. And, uh, but with the grace of God and, and the sustaining love of the church, we are who we are today. We are in Christ, and we're, we're, we're blessed. Um, this picture was taken when we announced our engagement. And like I said, she was very beautiful. She was also actively involved in ministry. She, she sang... Um, alto and all the choirs that we were ever blessed to be a part of. She played the guitar and used it in her ministry to the children and she with her loving care and support is the one that got through the, me, me through the difficult road um, to the ministry that I'm involved in today. So I look forward to the day you know what I mean. So today's message is only stand, and before I get into it, let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I was thinking this morning, and I have a tropical fish tank at home, and uh, it's beautiful. The, in order for the fish to survive, it's a closed environment, and it, it has to be pristine. So I, I do have to do a lot of work cleaning it and keeping it that way. But we live in a totally different environment. We live in an open system, and um, we live in a fallen world, and it's a world of chaos, and it's a world that hates Christ, and it hates us because we love Christ and he first loved us. And so what I want to try to communicate to you this morning is where do we stand? I know, I know that Pastor just finished teaching on this. Uh, I've actually been working on this uh, concept uh, for as long as I can remember, I preached the book of Ephesians back in my first 
church um, 40 plus years ago. And this passage always stood out to me. And, uh, and so I, I finally managed to sit down now that I have a lot of more time on my hands, excuse me, and do a word study of the, of the word stand in that passage in Ephesians that was read this morning. But I wanted to establish some con, uh, um, concept of, 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 of the context. And so I, I'm, again, reading from Ephesians 6 here. And it says, Take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the word shield is thurion in the Greek. I know that doesn't mean a lot, but I'm going to get back to that at the end of the message. Oh, by, by the way, I just heard Daryl say this not too long ago, and I was taught it in seminary. When you preach, have an introduction, three points, and a conclusion. I never do that. It doesn't work, especially when you're doing a word study. Daryl has confessed that he doesn't do that because when you're preaching through a book of the Bible, it's very difficult to, to uh, uh, do that without omitting a lot of things. So we're going to be doing a word study this morning, essentially. And then the word sword, you can see the, the Greek word there next to it, makaron. Uh, and it's a short sword, as the image on the screen uh, shows. And then in that passage, it says, which is the word of God. And the word word there is not the word logos. It's the word Rama. And you heard that a few weeks back when Daryl was preaching through this passage. And the, the word um, Rama means a part of the whole. It's, it's of the logos. It's not all of the logos. It's simply a part of it. So when you're looking at a, the image of a soldier battling someone and the enemy is in close quarters and he has to use the short sword, what that implies is that when you as a believer are dealing with something and you're in close quarters with the enemy, that word of God is there like a short sword. Remember in uh, Matthew chapter 4 when the enemy confronted Jesus told him to throw himself off the, 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 off the cliff to the rocks below, and he, he tempted him with bread and with the domains that were out there. And, and Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone in that one case, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that would be the logos, and the Rama is a part of that whole. Um, and then in Matthew five seventeen to 18, just to clarify and solidify, uh, it says in Matthew, I did not come, Jesus speaking, to abolish the law, but to fulfill it until heaven and earth pass away. Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So one of the amazing things about doing a word study, you can go from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. And because these men that Jesus called and that eventually wrote the scriptures, they're as consistent as anything could be consistent. The, the proof is in the, their, their inability as human beings to write so perfectly and so concisely. And yet we know that 
no prophet, no, no word is given without the Holy Spirit. And so that's why you have that, that you can embrace the whole of the scripture. And then when you're in a situation, you can lift up the short sword and you can defend yourself uh, with it. So remember that image and remember the word shield, thurion. And I was just emphasizing the word word there. So let's see if I can get this to move on. Okay, now turn to Ephesians 6 in your Bibles um, because I want you to look at the scriptures along with me. I know that what you're looking at looks like a bowl of spaghetti, but it doesn't look very appetizing. But like I said, I'm doing a word study. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11, and then 13 through 14, uh, are uh, teachings that are just, it's loaded with verbs. It's loaded with words that are very specific uh, because of their structure that I'm going to try to explain. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but I want to get this established so then I can go through other scripture to show you the connection between what it says in this passage and the rest of the Bible. So if you're looking at it, verse 11, the first part of verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God. That's a, that's a pretty straightforward command. And then in the second half of that verse, it says, now on the screen, I have it in the Greek word order rather than the English word order. And it says, therefore, whoops, will be able, you, will be able, you, and I want you to understand, this is not you, the individual that's sitting there. This is you, all of you. This is directed to the church. This is directed to the body of believers. This was directed to the Ephesian church. And because of that, and then it spread everywhere it's been ever since, it's directed to Grace Bible Church. Just as much as it was directed to the Ephesian church. We'll be able you to stand firm against, and then I had to add there up in the upper right-hand corner, the schemes of the devil. Because that's a very important context to uh, remain here while we're talking about this. So, Before I go on, I want you to look at that first verb there, will be able. And if you can see it, I don't know if it's big enough. I'm not going to try to turn around and look at it up there. You can see that it's a passive verb. That means when when verbs like this are written in the passive context, it means that you, plural, are not doing this, but some outside force is, and that outside force is God. Essentially, what it means is God will make you able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. God will make you able, not you, the individual, but as a group of believers, the Lord. And then it says, therefore, and of course the word therefore embraces everything that went ahead of it, and it, and it drags it into the conversation Therefore this, take up the full armor of God. 
And you can see that that next verb is also plural, and it's a command. Okay? So that, going on, so that you will be able, and then it says, to resist in the evil the day. So, before I get ahead of myself, I want you to look down on the lower part of the screen. There's some stuff circled in red, in, in, in red ink. And the first one, uh, it says INF, and that means infinitive. And I'm going to try to bring something up here. I hope you can see it. Uh, number one in the upper right-hand corner there, and an orange circle there is putting itself around that first uh, infinitive, to stand firm, and it means to take over in battle. Now, it's not saying that I, the individual, have to take over in battle. It's saying that you, the body, with the Lord's enabling you, will be able to take over the battle with his assistance. Now, um, everything got skewed a little bit here. I'm not too sure how that happens. I've I've gone over this probably 25,000 times. Um, But the, and I'm not going to try to fix it, but you can see in that first green square, there's a a highlighted area and the letters S-T-A-E. Do you see that? S-T-A-E in the Greek is sigma uh, tau eta. And what that is, is the word stand. That's the root word, stand. And in every case, that's what's used here in these passages. And, uh, and then the second one uh, is also says to resist, so that you will be able to resist. Ooh. In the evil of the day. And then it goes on and says, and, and everything having done to stand firm. The only thing that makes these words different from one another are the prefixes and the suffixes that I don't need to get into just to say that Greek verbs have those types of additives to the words that change their meaning so that we have a, a greater depth of meaning. And then it says, and having and everything having done to stand firm, and there it is again, and that also is an infinitive. The first three are all infinitives, which means they rely on the primary verb. Subsequently, all of those words are also passive because they, they get their, their stress from the, the ruling verb. And then the last word in verse 14, stand firm, is actually a command. It stands alone, and it's simply stand firm, therefore. So, in this passage, there are four, four usages of the Greek word stand. Now, let's see if I can have my program maintain its int- integrity. This one looks a little bit better. So I want to talk about the, co- the controlling verbs uh, there in the passage. And first of all, I want to stress this again. This passage in Ephesians 
is written to the redeemed church. So everybody that, that Paul is writing to is someone who has been born again. And every subsequent church throughout the ages, this letter is written only to those who are born again. So you have the first verb there, put on, and all I'm going to stress is a few of the things. It's, it's plural. You can see that in the middle of all that. And it's a middle voice um, which, and, and an imperative, which means you, all of you, are the ones who are putting on. The second verb, take up, is also plural. This one is also uh, a command, an imperative, and it's calling us to submission. The third one, you will be able, is also plural, and it is also passive, which means it's power given by God to believers, and it's also subjunctive. I hate to give you a Greek lesson. Uh, I was an English teacher when I taught high school, so um, I guess this stuff comes second nature to me. But what that means simply is that you all may be able to be armed. God enables us to be armed. And then um, the last one, the, the, the one action verb using the root stand is also plural. It's, an, it's a present active meaning now take your stand. So once you understand that God is clothing you in his armor and once you understand that he is enabling you to do this, with his assistance, then you can understand that now you can take your stand. So if I were going to put a structure to this and, and three points, I would say, with whom do we stand? How do we stand? And where do we stand? And that's what I'm going to try to answer this morning. So uh, down at the bottom, you can see on your uh, inserts there that there are some blank spaces. They're going to be at the bottom of the screens. The verb structure is clear. God's uh, armor is given to us, and in it we stand. Okay, uh, I'm I'm not going to read this whole passage because we've already read most of it, but Ephesians 6, 10 to 17 is the context. It was read from the pulpit this morning. What I want to do is draw your attention to the words at the bottom that are outlined with yellow t- yellow over the, or under the black text. And it's uh, in verse 14. Stand firm, firm, therefore, having, and then, and having put on the blessed plate of righteousness, and having shod your feet, and having taken up the shield and take up the helmet of salvation, all those, all those words are verbs, and, and they're all middle voice. And what they all mean is, and I'll try to put it in language that you can relate to, having already had your loins girded with truth and having already had the breastplate of righteousness put on, and having already had your feet shod with the preparation 
of the gospel of peace. And in addition, having already taken up the shield of faith. And then lastly, and take up the helmet of salvation. So once you've been clothed in God's armor, the process of being born again is God clothes you in his righteousness and then the helmet of salvation is placed upon you. And I just heard Pastor Darrell say this last week and a couple weeks before this. When you're talking about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit brings to your life, it says that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit of promise. And so every everything that the Spirit has, once we're born again, at the moment that we're born again, we get everything. There's no second blessing. Everything is just there. We just have to be willing to submit. And then we can walk with him. So this is not a call to attack. It is a call to stand in his strength alone. Where does, these, where does this armor come from? Who wore it first? In Isaiah 59, 16 to 19, it says, He, the Lord, saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. So he saw the sinfulness of man, and he was actually looking for someone who could intercede for man. But there was no one. And his, and his righteousness up, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Then his own right arm brought him salvation. Now, this is a, a term that, that all the good commentators look at and say, that's a reference to Christ. His arm brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. Now, look at the similarities here. He, this, this one who intercedes, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And then according to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render payment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. So what's given to us is the same armor that Christ wore and freely gives to us. Just contemplate that. Turn to Genesis 18. Now it's important to confirm doctrine. And see how scripture consistently backs up the things that I've tried to lay out here. Genesis 18 verses 1 to 2 and then skip to verse 8. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the monks of Mamre in the heat of the day. When he lifted his eyes, behold, three men were standing opposite him. So he ran to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Notice this. He bowed himself to the earth. 
It's not the same image that we just looked at, is it? And then he left and he went and prepared food. And then verse 8, and he placed it before them and he was standing by them under a tree. So here's the first instance where someone was standing. And we'll, we'll see that this was the Lord. Excuse me. So the Hebrew word for standing is amad. It's a place prepared by God with continuing emphasis. Now, I also have a Greek word up there, and that Greek word is not in the Hebrew Bible, but it is in a book called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the translation of the Hebrew to the Greek many, many centuries ago. It's it's not something that we hold up as the infallible word of God, but it is something that we can gauge and measure and compare with scripture. And the Greek word that they use to translate amad into the Greek is peristei. And you can see the, the letters S-T-A-E. That's the word stand. And so that's consistent with what we were looking at in Ephesians. And then skip forward a little bit to Genesis 19. Verses 27 and 28. Abraham arose early and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And there it is. It says he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and saw the smoke ascend like the smoke of a furnace. So this is after Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. And he could see it from that place where he had been standing uh, before the Lord. And again, the Hebrew word is amad, a place prepared by God with continuing emphasis. And it's a, it looks like a different Greek word, but you can see the S-T-A-E in the middle there. It's a perfect word referring to past action. And because it's past action, it has eternal application. Abraham stood before the Lord. Abraham is still standing before the Lord. Never changes. Now let's go to Moses, Exodus 3. And by the way, if you, if you didn't want to turn to the scripture, it's all going to be up there on the screen. So. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jericho, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire, from the midst of a bush, no relation to me. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, And he said, here I am. Now, in combination, uh, well, let's look at the next part first. Now, this is a part of what I just uh, read, the next verse, verse 5. And then God said, do not come near, for you are standing 
on holy ground. Now this this is the same stretch of verses where God introduces himself to Moses and he says, I am who I am. This is where the word Lord or Yahweh comes from. And it means the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. And we know that we're talking of the Lord, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And again, the Greek, the Hebrew word amad, and the, the context shows us that this place where Moses is standing is a place of purity, and it's absolute. There is no evil present where this ground is. And then the Greek word, again, the S-T-A-E, it's perfect, and it means I brought you here to know my holiness and to stand in it forever. So the same thing with Abraham. Abraham is standing. He was promised that he would be forever standing. He is still standing. Moses is standing in the holy presence of God then and now. It doesn't stop. And then Exodus 33, verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. In combination, these two verses show the eternal relationship of friendship between God and those people whom he extends salvation to. We understand this from the Garden of Eden because Adam and Eve, before they disobeyed, walked with God in the garden. They were friends with the Lord. And the same thing is true of Abraham and Moses. Now, Israel, this this was read this morning, and uh, it's a a great verse. It's the the Pharaoh, he's chasing after the the Israelites. They are cornered. The the chariots of the and the soldiers of Pharaoh are coming down to destroy them, and they're bitter. And they cry out to Moses, "Why did you take us out of Egypt? It would have been better if we just died there." And so Moses said to the people, "Do not fear. Stand by." Now the the Hebrew word there is a little different. It's Yasah because it adds the word "stand by." In other words, it means stand in wait. Um, and the Greek word, again, you can see the S-T-A-E, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish. Not you, Israel. Flip it over to New Testament times. Not you, the individual. Okay? See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Images are worth a thousand words sometimes. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Of course, we know that the sea was parted. The Israelites fled. The Egyptians tried to chase after them, and they were destroyed. 
Okay, another, another uh, encounter with Moses. Uh, Exodus 33, 17 to 23. The Lord said to Moses, I will do this of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray, show me your glory. Wouldn't that be something that you would want to experience? And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. In other words, this salvation is up to me, Moses, not you. And will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there, stand there. Same word in Hebrew and Greek, on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. We just read this, verse 21. There is a place by me, you shall stand there on the rock. And that's the Hebrew word. Again, it's perfect. It is a place that is that has eternal. Um, it, it is eternal. And if you are standing there on the rock, you are standing there eternally. And you cannot be moved. The Greek word is the, is the same. Um, it sort of adds this idea. This is your place, Moses. It is where we meet, where all believers are safe. And we, we clean that from both the Hebrew and the New Testament, uh, which makes that particular explanation true. Uh, Paul explains the essence of this in 1 Corinthians 10.4, and the rock was Christ. Not a surprise to see that explanation from Paul. Now we go to Daniel. I look at Daniel and I see him as the Old Testament Saul or Paul. And you'll be able to see why. Chapter 10, verses 5 to 9. This is Daniel speaking. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of upaz. His body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet were like the gleam of polished bronze. The sound of his words like a tumult. Um, a lot of the, the aspects of Daniel are also similar to the book of Revelation. <clears throat> now, I alone, I, Daniel, alone saw this vision. Again, similar to, to Paul. The people with Paul didn't see this, what, what happened to Paul either. Well, the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. I alone saw it. Now look at this. And no strength was left in me. My color turned to a deathly pallor, 
and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words. As soon as I heard the sound, I fell into a deep sleep sleep with my face on the ground. Now, this is a little bit different because Daniel was a different kind of prophet. And Daniel, and he was living in in exile in a foreign land and was being forced to uh, to worship other gods. And he was trying to not do that. You know most of the stories, the fiery furnace uh, being cast into the lion's den. This is before all that. And, uh, and even though he was, as you look at the bottom there, highly esteemed, he suffered from spiritual weakness. And when we move on, we find out why. And if you live during these times with him, and the statue of the emperor or the statue of a god uh, was brought up, you were on your face. And that was Daniel's response to the presence of God himself. And so that's, that's where we find Daniel at the end of this passage. Down and out. Then a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And you can see the image here of Daniel on his hands and knees having been touched. And he said, the individual that touched him, Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words I am about to tell you and stand. It's a command. It's the Hebrew word amad. Stand upright, for I have been sent to you. When he had spoken this to me, I stood up. Daniel obeyed. Trembling. There's still a piece of the puzzle that needs to be added. Then he said, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding all this and on humbling yourself before your God, that's repentance. Your words were heard and I have come in response to your word. So you can see that next note there. The essence for all sinful men. Desire to understand God. Repent and pray and he will come to you. So God's design for us is not to be laid low from fear but to relate to God upright in the standing position. Now, more from Daniel. Now, one resembling a man was touching my lips. You see that picture in the upper right-hand corner there? Standing. So, whoever it was that was touching his lips was standing. He was also standing. Same words. And, and Daniel said, I have no strength. 
Remember in the New Testament, the words that say, my strength is sufficient for you. This is what we're looking at doctrinally here. I have no strength. He touched me again and strengthened me. This is grace. This is grace. I have no strength. He touched me and I was strengthened. Undeserved, freely given. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage. Be courageous. This means that he is going to establish him in a particular place. Now, as soon as he spoke, again, Daniel speaking, I received strength. This is synonymous with salvation. It means vigor, power. It's perfect intensive, which means it's something that's given that can never be taken away. Perfect. And it's intensive, meaning it is complete. It is firmly established. Now, you may have noticed something. The words, peace be with you. Look at the bottom of your screen. Jesus said twice, peace be with you. What we have here is a Christophany. The Lord Jesus appearing to Daniel, giving him salvation, establishing him in the position of friendship, the two of them standing together. We'll find out where that is. Now, continuing to confirm doctrine, the 12, uh, meaning the apostles on the day of Pentecost. So when they had come together, the disciples were asking, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? That was a, that was a I mean, they always thought that Jesus was going to um, put on the, the armor and go out and destroy Rome. Is this when you're going to do it? And so Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the earth. And then it says, and Peter taking his stand. Alone? No. Look at the words of Scripture. With the eleven. All twelve of them were there, and they took their stand. Remember, you, all of you. So let's go back a little bit and follow the, the, the line that's presented here. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 4, So they were in the upper room, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, they were born again, and as it says, they spoke other languages. And in verse 11, the people heard them in their own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Some were amazed, 
others mocked. The mockers said, oh, they must be drunk. And then verse 14, Peter taking his stand, and you can see this is the same word, S-T-A-E, caused to stand. It's a passive verb. It means God caused them to stand in that place with the 11 so that they could accomplish something that God had laid out before them to accomplish. And then the people that heard the message cried out and said, what shall we do? And in verse 38 it says, repent and be baptized. After hearing the message of the gospel, repent and be baptized. In other words, you're being brought into the local body of the Christian fellowship. And you who repent and are baptized will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit just as did the apostles. Verse 41, and there were added about 3,000 born-again souls that day. Now I want to emphasize Before they stood in the temple in these images, what did the disciples do? Peter in particular. They hid. They denied Jesus as their Lord. Peter, dramatically, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. And they were all hiding. And then for 40 days, Jesus appeared to many of them, the 12 in the upper room. What were they doing in the upper room? They were hiding. They were afraid. What changed? They stood before thousands of people in the temple square. And they got up and stood before them. Something had changed. They were caused to stand because they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember, in the upper room, Jesus said, it's good that I go away so that I can send you another comforter. He will be with you and in you. This is a dramatic difference between the Old Testament believers and New Testament believers. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So all the verbs in here are passive, and so we can repeat the phrase, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Saul, or as we more commonly know him, Paul. Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord as he approached Damascus, a light flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice, Very similar to Daniel. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Jesus was already dead and resurrected. Why did he say, why are you persecuting me? Because Saul was was killing and putting in prison members of the body of Christ. And the Lord took it personally. It was personal. And then Saul said, 
who are you, Lord? Then that's not the term Yahweh. That's just the term of respect. And, and the voice said, I am Jesus. You are persecuting. But get up. It's a command. What it means is you stand. Enter the city and you will be told what to do. So all he had was get up off the ground, get your face off the ground. You have just been saved, so stand up. You, the murderer of my flock, are my friend. And it will last forever. Go into the city and someone will come to you. And then later in that passage, the character Ananias comes into the picture. And the Lord said to him, he was a member of the local church, get up. Notice the Greek word has the S-T-A-E. And so it means the same thing. Get up, stand, and go to Saul. And if you can imagine, Ananias, he knew who he was. And he's in his mind, he's thinking, are you kidding me? Saul? He's the one that was there when Stephen was stoned. He's the one there that's been chasing believers into Damascus and all over the north country. You want me to go to him? But look what it says concerning Saul. He is a chosen vessel of mine. He now belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. You all know, know the story. Ananias came. Saul got the information that he needed. He, he actually spent 14 years in development before he ever went out and, and preached on, on the widespread basis that we know of him. So Paul's unique salvation did not occur in isolation. He was indeed a part of the body of Christ. So continuing to confirm doctrine from other places, in scripture Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 justified by faith we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ and we in whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand in other words and see, you can see it there it's the Greek word stay stand we stand in grace we stand in a place that we don't deserve we stand in a place that is holy, that belongs to God. And we are invited in to stand with him forever. And it is a perfect verb, which means it's a continuing state of being. Once you're in the hands of God, nothing can take you away. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ set us free. Remember that line. Therefore, keep standing firm. Again, stay to stand. It's a command. Once again, you, all of you, not the individual. And do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. We'll see that also again in a little bit. And then 1 Peter 5. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I know that's a pretty graphic image, but it sort of gets us to think, doesn't it? The enemy is active and he wants to destroy us. And, and we're talking about the church because we never stand alone. When we do, we'll see what happens. And it says, you, all of you, resist. Firm in your faith, for you know the God of all grace will do the following because he's already accomplished it. He will perfect you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. And he has already established you. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And again, you, all of you, only stand. That's all we're commanded to do. Just stand. So this is a profound linkage to the dangers of spiritual warfare we saw in Ephesians 6. Now this is where this is where it's it's important to know that that there are times when pastors and teachers and elders are called to do something before the church. They're called before the church to teach and to train in righteousness and to edify the body. But they're also called to correct and confront if that's what's needed. And this whole time you've heard me say, this is a plural thing that's going on, not a singular. So if you're looking at that soldier in that image there and you see him standing alone, this is the warning that 1 Corinthians 10 gives. Let him, singular, who thinks, and that's someone who is employing independent self uh, supposition. In other words, He's seeking, thinking inside the box. Not what God would want, but what he would want. And it says, he stands thinking he stands. That's the context. Let him who thinks he stands take heed. This is a warning. A command to guard against the blindness and of self-supposition, and to exercise true sight. Well, what gives us true sight? The doctrine of Scripture gives us true sight. That he does not fall. So if you are sitting out there and you you are standing alone and you can think much of what you do as a believer allows you to stand alone, then this passage is for you. And let the Holy Spirit correct it if it needs correcting. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, the the idolatry in this particular verse is self. It's self-righteousness. Now, watch that guy right there in the image. You see him on the left of this picture coming over? That's the same guy. I photoshopped him out so he was standing alone. 
But according to all the imagery that we've looked at, according to all the teaching that we've looked at, we don't stand alone. There's danger in standing alone. You will fall back on your face, worshiping self. But if you understand these teachings, the plural says that that soldier is standing together with the rest of the members of the body of Christ. We never stand alone. So at the bottom there, the biggest danger is isolation. And then the verse, Hebrews 10.25, forsake not assembling yourselves together. Now, this is where I've never been hesitant to speak to anybody that can hear my voice and, and let you know it's because it's something that was said to me. When the church gathers, you should do everything in your power to look at your schedule and to plan your life around those times that the church gathers. I know there's a lot of factors, but if you can in, in any way, shape, or form be here when Pastor Darrell is teaching on Wednesday night, you should recheck your schedule. I know that Wednesday nights used to have a larger turnout, and COVID changed that. Come on back. Come on back. Enough correction. Revelations 3.20, behold, I stand. That's Jesus. It's perfect. He is continuously present at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. It's an eternal promise. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So this is the Spirit saying this, what you've heard just now. Okay, deeper truth. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who doubted, but Jesus knew what he needed, and he said to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the Jews, scoffed. He said, how can I enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born again? It is impossible. Jesus said, it's spiritual. And he explained these things. And he said, are you a teacher and do not understand? And then Jesus cites the Old Testament, revealing to Nicodemus the gospel, where it talks about the Messiah's incarnation, his crucifixion, and the gift of salvation. And then he says to Nicodemus, watch me, the son of man, in me you will have eternal life. And what he quoted, and it's right there in this passage, he says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, me, the son of man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him have eternal life. Now, isn't it interesting that this story of Nicodemus is in the context of John chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. And that image is what Jesus was presenting to Nicodemus. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Everyone is Nicodemus at some point in their life. And you scoff when you hear the words, you got to be born again. The natural man is unable to understand, but God can receive a repentance and change all that. And that's what it means to be born again. So standing is the foundation. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. It's the same word. All of the scripture that we've looked at from all the different writers use the same words because it's doctrine. Because it's sound doctrine. So knowing who we are and what we do, we are his workmanship created, made to stand, we can insert that there, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So if we're operating alone on our own self-righteousness and we try to do something, it has no value. The only way that we can store up our treasures in heaven is to walk the path that he designed for us, the church, collectively, and then what we do in the church, the usage of our gifts, together. So imagine this if you can. Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andy his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And they were rough, tough, gruff, salty men. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then it says, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. We always need to be ready to give a defense of the hope that is in us. I think about this sometimes. Those two men, the Lord of creation, looked them in the eye and they, he called them from their, their business and they let it go and they followed him. That's what he's asking all of us to do. So for freedom... Christ set us free. That's referring to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, keep standing firm. And again, there's no room for the image of all of us together, but that's what I'm referring to. Standing firm, fully armed, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, it's a little hard to see this image, But this is a cage without doors. There's no way to get in or out. It is a personal prison that without Christ, you are bound to. There is only one way out. And we are called to test 
ourselves to see if we are in the faith that he is in you. So we're at the point of conclusion now, and we get back to what we first started with, the image of the shield of faith. The Greek word again is thurion. It's a noun, and it means a large door-shaped defensive weapon, something that we can get behind for protection. What is that? Again, the Greek word, the root word is thura. Now, on the left side there, there's a picture taken from Israel. This is a sheepfold. And a sheepfold is, is a walled enclosure with only a single slit of a door that the sheep can get through. That gap is called a door. And it, it says in John 10, uh, 7 and 9, Jesus speaking, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door, thura, thura. It's the same word for the shield. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Takes us to the words of Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. But through me, there's no other way. Those that try to climb over and get in are described by Jesus as thieves and robbers. They don't get in. Now, I'm going to convert this to a graphic. There's the graphic of the sheepfold, and there's the opening, which is the door. And Jesus says, I am the door. Let me rephrase that. I am the shield. And so he superimposes himself over the entrance to the sheepfold. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes into the sheepfold, the father, but through me. That's where we stand. We stand in the sheepfold behind our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when it says that we are to take up the shield of faith in Ephesians, that's what it's talking about. He then is our shield. Could, do you really think that we could hold up a physical shield of some sort? and take all the flaming arrows of the devil and never be struck or harmed? Only if we understand that he is the shield, that he is the door, do we, can we fully appreciate the, the width and breadth and depth of our protection in Christ. So be warned, you've heard the verse, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, confess Jesus Christ is Lord, it's in Romans and also in Philippians, but it's important to remind everyone when this day comes, it's too late to stand in grace. Today is the day of your salvation. Don't put off till tomorrow what needs to be done today. So I'm calling 
for the response. And again, I know that this is written to the redeemed, but only God knows each, each heart. I don't know the hearts of everyone. I don't know what your needs are. I don't know if any of this struck a chord within you. Uh, two of the elders are here this morning. I'm here. If anyone needs to explore this because you're not sure that you're born again, don't be intimidated. Come, follow me. Lay down your net, get out of the boat, and follow Jesus. If you look on the left-hand side, idolatry is to turn, repentance means to turn from the sin of self to the purity of the holy God. And that means full surrender. Thank you, Father, so much that we could explore this one word through the scriptures and find so much truth. I just pray that it was as much of a blessing to those who listened this morning as it was for me to put it together. And any response that is needed, Father, to you we give all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.